0: Hey, Security Peeps, this is Renee Small from the Special Edition Breaking into Cybersecurity Podcast with my super recruiter friends here. So I will introduce everybody, or we will go around and introduce everybody. So Alex, do you want to start first?
1: Hey, good morning, all. i um, Alex Henry. Uh, obviously, uh, Renee and I have been friends uh, for, for years, uh, worked with her in the security space um, and we're coming to you live every week uh, on LinkedIn to want uh, to, to help any way we can.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Alex. My brother from another mother, Chris Folon. <laughs> Chris, introduce yourself.
2: Hey, everyone. Um, in addition to being Renee's co-host on Breaking into Cybersecurity, which I can't believe it's been almost two years of doing, right. doing this podcast, um, I also rope her into other things. Or bamboozle her, as she says. So (laughs) (laughs) it's another fun day.
0: Yes, yes, I've been bamboozled many times. (laughs) Thanks, Chris and Danny. I feel like we're all family here. Like I've worked (laughs) with each and every one of you, and I just love this group. So, Danny, please introduce Uh, yourself.
3: Hello, Um, been. Focused in cybersecurity uh, for a long time, and known uh, known Renee for quite some time now. So excited to be helping out! Excellent.
0: So we were all chatting here, and I can't believe it either. I mean, Chris and I have been doing this podcast for almost two years. I cannot believe it, um, and I really, really feel like we are brother and sister, <laughs> sister at this point. He's like my work husband. <laughs> Brothers, it's just a lot of incest going on. Anyway, um, so we are now chit-chatting. I know, it's crazy. Um, We have been talking about some of the things that are happening in this industry. um, And just overall, like we're dealing with COVID-19. The reason why we put Super Recruiters together is because we want to come to you and provide um, topics of discussion that will help you while you are searching for a job during this time. And we know that, Many of you, unfortunately, have lost your opportunities with no fault of your own. It's just that because of the economy, because of the current time, um, we have been in a situation where we are um, not—you know—we're just losing a lot of a ton of jobs, and obviously in a recession, and potentially um, worse than 2008. uh, We'll see when this all falls out, but. When it's all said and done, you know, we want to come to you and bring our perspective, what we're, what we're hearing and seeing from a recruiter's perspective. And because recruiters, um, and Chris is an adopted recruiter <laughs> and career coach, because we hear and we, we speak with so many candidates and we speak with so many hiring leaders, we're able to kind of provide insight as to what we're seeing now in comparison to before. And one of the things that Danny talked about, brought up, um, is the mental health aspect, you know, we all of us are parents on this on this um, podcast, and we are struggling <laughs> with our children. Um, I have little ones; mine are all under ten. Chris's are under ten. Um, I think Alex, I think his his your daughter's under ten. No, she's a little older.
1: No, my daughter's twelve, so we're good. Okay,
0: well. close. And then Danny, the mother of all mothers, has four children <laughs> during all of this. Um, and so we were just talking about the stresses that we've been seeing, you know, stresses, stresses for ourselves and then stresses for people in the industry. So, um, Danny, I know you want to talk about like the mental health component, um, that you've heard some candidates have been experiencing yourself. Um, so if you wanted to chime in and chat a little bit about that, um, that would be great. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah. Fortunately, I'm still working on a small project for a wonderful company and, but several candidates that I have been speaking with have, um, I can hear that underlying stress and, um, embarrassment when a kid flies into the room and, or, you know, you can hear, hear things going on in the background and I have to reassure them like, look, I've got kids, I get, it. I have four. So that kind of puts people in it, you know, kind of eases them, relaxes them, but, um, we're all dealing with this stress. It was not, um, something done on purpose. This this is something out of, out of all of our hands. This is a, a, you know, a virus. Um, so it's not like something was done deliberately to destroy the economy. Um, but there, you know, it, it's, and I found myself too uh, stressed out as a parent, um, and thinking, you know, I'm hearing it repeatedly from other candidates that, um, they're just they're, everyone's overwhelmed. Um, I have a child in kindergarten who goes to regular school. Um, and then my other ones, I'm lucky that they are in K twelve, so it's public school online. So they really didn't have any um, you know, issues coming on board. But the kindergartner, um, all of a sudden we're being bombarded with so much stuff to just to do his schoolwork. And I'm like, it's worse than a master's course. Um, I have to, you know, we have to log into 14 different sites, uh, download, try and print stuff from a Chromebook. Uh I don't have a you know, laptops and books uh, doesn't mix right. And trying to print off, you know, 17 pages of this. And um, I, I want to reassure people that we, we, we get it. And, and we want to emphasize, you know, the mental health aspect of you need to still step back and take time for your family, put, try and put your family first um, and keep, you know, I know it sounds kind of rolling your eyes and thinking, oh, my gosh, um, you know, you don't get it. Yeah, we get it. Trust me. We were all laughing about um, different things.
2: Yeah, we um, at my household, we we bought maze books. We bought all sorts of activity books for for my son's age. He's also in kindergarten. Um, I purchased ABC Mouse um, looking for all sorts of activities that I could use, because like you mentioned, um, the the school provided umpteen number of links, but if you're the one that has to sit there and go through logging into each of these applications with them, that's, that's your whole day. So that that's why I opted for like ABC mouse that kind of provides a whole classroom um, experience all in one application. Uh, I hate to say it on an iPad um, that they, they can control themselves um, you can guide them and then they can control themselves. But I think that helps bring the sanity back to the parents that they can try, try to manage everything in a, in a more reasonable basis. And also for those that are looking for, for roles or interviewing for roles, um, having something that you can um, distract your kids so that they're not jumping all over you in the middle of an interview is also helpful. Um, and then, like Danny mentioned, you don't feel that embarrassment of that interruption
0: yeah I also wanted to add that um Chris, you're so right. So mine are are younger too. They're eight, five, and three. Um, and it's just mayhem and um, thinking about, you know the, to to everyone's point, ABC Mouse is awesome <laughs> because because you're right, Danny and Chris, it's it's you get bombarded. I said to the teachers, "How am I supposed to work? Like this is the full time job." First of all, God bless all the teachers in America. <laughs> we need to be paying teachers much more, much more money. Uh, but I got this. Me, I got a, I got a funny. Um, I got something like a, a little meme or a little TikTok video the other day and it made me laugh because the mom was saying, you know, if the virus doesn't kill us, the homeschool is going to because, you know, we, we have on the one hand, we do have this luxury of being and I think we, we will all say that we're blessed to not be in a hospital right now, like fighting for our lives. Um, in addition, you know, you have all of these stresses that come along with being at home with especially little ones um, who have a ton of energy and they have the um, attention span of Nats, as Danny said earlier, and it is just it's just a tough thing. So realizing that um, to Danny's point, especially when we circle back and we come back to like the interviewing aspect and uh, realizing that, you know, all of. All of the folks who we've interviewed with, um, or all of the folks that I've interviewed with and have interviewed with me during this time, I'm constantly saying, Don't even worry about it. Like, oh, my little kids are back there. Like, so are mine. Mine are going to bust in this room any minute. Um, so don't feel bad. And it's just what's happening right now. It is what it is. And I can't, you know, the one thing that's great is. Every once in a while, when my kids used to be kind of in the background, I'm like, and Chris will laugh at this because we would do live streams, and my kid would be like walking across, <laughs> walking across the back of the live stream, um, and I was the only one. Now everybody is joining in, so it's collective. So you know, don't feel bad when it happens.
2: What are your thoughts, Alex? How do you deal with a teenager during this this time?
1: yeah well i'm I'm fortunate i think um you know my daughter is self-sufficient for the most part um i have brushed up on my seventh grade math so that's a that's a plus um you know so i mean she's good to go i mean other than um you know other than that man i'm just spending a lot of time you know you know just with everyone um learning new seventh grade card games um you know so I, i would take advantage you know being home with your, your, your family and your children um you know from from that aspect you know it's it's a blessing um because we don't see them you know the teachers see them more than, than we do typically right so now the shoes on the other foot um you know so take advantage of it you know at the same time you know just remember that everyone is sitting home in front of the computer so from a from a search perspective, I mean, you will have access to probably a lot more people than you ever had before. Um, So just, you know, just, um, you know, find some time, you know, when when you're not with the children to, uh, you know, to jump on LinkedIn or or whatever platforms um, because people are,
2: you know, are there um, and available. So uh, Alex, since you you talked about that, for those that might've been, laid off due to um, needing to be on site or their their roles were on site. Um, what are some tips that you have for them for searching right now? Um, are there resources that are available? Are there uh, sites where everyone's coming together to share opportunities? What's your point of view on this?
1: Yeah, I say, um, I mean, obviously LinkedIn is, is huge, right? So that's the, the biggest one that, that I use. But I would say within that, you know, jump into certain groups. Um, you know, network um, with with folks in those groups that are, you know, that that are have a similar background to yourself. Because um, a lot of times jobs are strictly posted within groups on LinkedIn, as opposed to maybe being, you know, kind of on the uh, on the traditional kind of job board within LinkedIn. Um, you know, so try getting into those groups and uh, and networking that way.
0: That's a really good point. I would also add um, that being a part of the conversation is huge. So you could be on a timeline, and you may feel that you know this person is so much higher. So if you're in our, in our space, right, the CISOs of the the kings and the queens of the of the world, or the CEOs of these cybersecurity companies, and I would say that Chris is awesome at this, you know, making comments, putting in his opinion, um, and anyone can do it. And the next thing you know, that person is following you and paying attention to you because they want to know, they look at your feet. Like, what do you do? You know, what, what, what does this person know? What are they an expert in? And even if you're super junior, since this is the breaking into security space, or you're transitioning in, your opinion and your perspective is going to likely be different than other people's perspectives. You can always provide that perspective. So even if, you know, I might be looking at something in a super technical, I don't know what it is. I could chime in with my perspective on whatever the topic is. Um, And then next thing you know, people start following you and connecting with you because they want to, they want to know more about you. And that's how you grow and grow in these communities um, be a part of the conversation. If you're just posting and you're not responding, or when I say responding, I mean making comments in other people's topics um, or other on other people's feeds, then you're probably going to be out here. You know, you'll you'll have your own list of you know long list of feed feeds with probably not much on it. But if you start communicating, if you start following people, and as they make comments you add in and chime in and people start to like your comment and connect with you. And that's how you kind of grow your network. So a lot of folks out here, you know, if you're trying to expand your network or make it bigger or grow it, that's another additional way to do that. And then when you're in those networks, then you start to learn more about opportunities because people tend to go post, Oh, I have this job or I have this going on. They post it on their feeds, um, versus posting on like a job, on the the you know the linkedin jobs so that's just an additional point
2: yeah it's the it's a new version of someone telling you when you meet with them in person that they heard about this role or that they think that um you you might be a good fit for this role because they're now saying it to linkedin as if they were having some conversation so that's where you can jump in like if you were at a mixer or at, at some some sort of event where you might overhear someone talking about a role and then you might politely go over and ask, hey, I'm kind of interested in that role. Would you mind talking to more about me to it? Or who did you hear that role was for and kind of ease into the conversation that way?
0: Yeah, I try to think about all of these conversations online, especially for people who are not used to being in, in, you know, these kinds of conversations online as if it was offline. So, you know, when you're thinking about what you would be doing offline, would you sit if 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 there was a CISO that you that was holding having a conversation with four or five of his or her friends and you know, additional people joined in and joined in, would you stay on the sidelines and not say anything or would you introduce yourself or would you make a comment or would you, you know, like think about some of the things that you do offline? and how you would do it online. And then then it's kind of easily translatable. So you make a comment, you chime in, um, you bring in your perspective. And when you're doing that three or four or five times on influential people's um, feeds, people start noticing you. And really, really, they want to see what you have to say. Like, oh, you know, Alex was around. He made a comment on this person's feed and this person's feed. And, he's putting out some, a little bit of content too. And so they start noticing you. And from what I've, we've, and I think we would all echo this when we speak to leaders and we hear like, okay, when you're looking for someone, what what do you, what do you do? They immediately go to the LinkedIn profile. They're not even really looking at resumes heavily anymore. They want to know who are these people? What are they doing on LinkedIn? You know, what comments are they making? Um, how deep down, how much are they passionate about what they do? And it's, it's, it's all on LinkedIn. Like that's where a lot of this stuff is happening. So I just wanted to add in that that comment and that point.
2: Um, the, the downside to that is you have to be critical. Be careful of what you post. So you don't want to be too negative all the time. Um, you also don't want to be too superficial all the time because that also gleans insight as to your level of understanding or passion for the field
0: yes that's true i would add that and i and i think um some of the posts that people make it makes me wonder if they fully understand (laughs) that everyone can see what they're saying and everyone can um everyone is is viewing some of the comments so you know sometimes a lot of the political comments that are that are posted Um, it's fascinating to me because you just don't know people, you know, if you were in your office, I say this, I think about this too. If you were in your office, would you be making these comments? If you were, you know, there there are things out there that people are posting Everybody can see them. And so would you want to, and it, it is totally up to you as an individual. Do you want to shout from the rooftops, you know, who you voted for, why you voted for them, and why they're the best, and whatever, you know, whichever way you sway, you know, you swing, is that something that you want to be posting out or screaming out if you were in your office and you're, and you know, if you were at the water cooler, are those the kinds of conversations that you would be having? So it's fascinating to me sometimes I click on, you know, I'll click on a person's profile, and I kind of like read down further, or I click on some of the comments that they made, and I'm like, they really, (laughs) like this is, and, and you're actively looking for opportunities, and then you know, you just don't know what's out there. So keeping things kind of neutral and thinking about offline, what would I do? That's always the question. What would I do offline? What would I you know, if I were standing in an office, if I were you know in front of and 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 then echo and then mirror that, mirror that online. because um, I think people forget a lot, or I don't know. They 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 don't realize how much people look at LinkedIn, how much leaders look at LinkedIn, how much you could potentially be um you could potentially be removing yourself from an opportunity just because of a comment that you made that you might not think is a big deal, but you know, the person on the other side is like, oh well. I, you know, I don't like this person's views or whatever. So I'm going to immediately ding them out, especially in this environment when there's going to be just so many more people out there looking for opportunities. So,
3: um, yeah, actually, I'd like to chime in about that. And um, in, in, I think everyone is um, in some way has uh, unknown biases. And that's something that as as a um, in talent acquisition as a recruiter, I try and separate um, that I don't care. Um, I'm I'm a military spouse and we pretty much just love and embrace everybody. Um, yeah. And I have, you know, all of us have certain political leanings and so forth, but the main thing that I'm always looking for is can, can you do the job? Are you qualified? That's what is the most important thing. Um, but at the same time, you still want to be professional, um, and you still want to accept people for who they are. And that's what is the beauty of, that's what true diversity is. It's not, you have to be the same way as somebody else in order to do the job. That's the main thing that um, recruiters are, are interested in. And so that's where you always shine the best.
0: Yeah. And to, to, to add to Danny and to just, I guess reiterate my point from a, I think from a recruiting perspective, we are looking to get people to the table. That's our whole goal. Like, our whole goal is like making that match and getting you to the table What we don't want you to fall off is that leader who, you know, has whatever they have going on in the background. They go and they click on your profile and they see all this stuff. And then all of a sudden you're dinged out and nobody understands why it's like, wow, this person had great experience. You know, they had like all the technical expertise. They were in the right company. They, all of these things look great. And then all of a sudden it's like, the leader doesn't want to, for whatever reason, you're dinged out and you don't, nobody understands fully why. And it could be something as simple as something that you posted that came off, um, uh, you know, potentially offensive, even though it might not be offensive, but it comes off in a certain way. And it's just to be cognizant of whatever you're putting out there. So so what have y'all been seeing in terms of... Um, From in terms of people and their interviewing, um, you know, the interviewing skills, especially from the online interviewing. I know a couple of weeks ago we talked a lot about people being online um, and having their backgrounds looking kind of crazy, having um, issues when it comes to uh, just the sanity. I think sanity checks up interviewing during this time. Um, What are you seeing out there? Anything Um,
3: interesting? Yeah, actually I had a, a, a candidate who, um, uh, was actually not very professional. I think he forgot that he was live in front of me and, um, he kept touching his face and stuff and he started popping his pimples. Mm. Um, yeah. And I was just (laughs) like, um, you know, trying to be you know i'm like okay i guess he's really relaxed with me or something but this is just a little too much so please be aware that um if, if it is live we're 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 seeing everything you're doing so please <laughs> refrain from you know touching your face and stuff because that was uh, in all honesty i've never had that happen before um in you know in a live one but uh you know in person but this was that was over the top so
0: yep o-m-g I'm looking at some of the comments, and Stephen Owen says that um, not that I'm an expert, but having insightful, valuable things to say helps. Critical thinking is key to being able to have something valuable to say. Everyone has a perspective; too few have confidence in their own to express it, and instead adopt the group perspective. So, I think he was, and I, I, comment a few minutes ago, about providing your perspective.
2: Yeah, I think a uh, group thing. Groupthink is definitely something that people sink into. Um, The idea is that rather than taking someone else's point of view as analysis and adopting that as your own, maybe go back and look at the source. Go back and look at exactly what you're talking about. Form your own opinion. And if you came to the same conclusion, then great, but you likely will have some other insight that no one else has gleaned. And I think that that's what employers are looking for. Um, If they can have that diversity of thought on their, on their team, they will benefit greatly from it versus having everyone that agrees on the same thing, because they came from the same school, they came from the same background, have that ability to look at things and, analyze it for yourself and not just adopt group think
0: yeah that's totally a valuable point i think that people underestimate how much perspective they bring um and i say it all the time you can have four people that look on the surface they all look the same it could be the same race same sex same age same you know all be military all be different things and then You look at someone's background or where they've been, where they've come from or, you know, just where they've worked or the different types of um, experiences that they've had. And that's why Chris and I talk a lot about um, being in having that diversity of thought and really looking past the surface and going under. And I know Danny probably knows this better than me. When we think about that um, unconscious bias and there's usually a little chart, uh, um, a graph, and it shows you the iceberg and the tip of the iceberg and then you go underneath the iceberg and there's so many different layers of things going on um, with a person. And you may not know, you know, this, this person may have a different perspective because you know, you grew up in a in a, in a in a suburb in a nice house and they were homeless when, when they were a child and they bring this different angle to things that, you know, you just don't know. Or someone like Chris, who's lived all around the world, who grew up in the Caribbean, you know, who lives in the Caribbean, who lived in Europe, who lives all over the place, his perspectives of what he's seen in life is going to be just so much different than someone that has been in their hometown for their whole entire life. So it's just thinking, not underestimating what you have to say and what you have to offer, so. I
2: have a question for the three recruiters on this call. When you, you're either working for an organization or um, you're freelancing for an organization, how do you guide them out of that groupthink mentality to um, ensure that you're having that diversity of thought aspect at looking for a role because they might say i want this this and this but when you talk to them more about the role you realize they need that that and that how do you have them to realize that and maybe change change their outlook as they're hiring
1: yeah i'll jump in um so i would say first and foremost um you know it's it's a conversation that you have to have you know and 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 be open about um you with regards to you know the types of Candidates, we, you know, we're going to source for you. Um, and then even on top of that, I think as a recruiter, um, we have the power of who we're submitting over to, you know, the hiring managers. Right. So if we speak to someone who may not have been in that kind of the, that blueprint that they were looking for, but we've spoken with them and know that they're a solid candidate you know, I'm going to make sure that my notes show that this person is a solid candidate and you should consider them. So, you know, just not going to send over, you know, the, the traditional kind of white shirt, blue tie, blue suit type of person when, you know, someone else with the, you know, someone else can, can step up and and do the role, Um, but just may not have gotten the look because they're not in the, in the white shirt and blue tie. Right. So, Uh, We have power as recruiters, but it has conversation. I mean, you know, I think all companies are looking to have diverse pipelines, Um, you know, so it's something that, you know, is passed down uh, to, uh, you know, to the rest of the leaders within, you know, within organizations.
3: Um, I'd like to jump in, though. Like, in regards to um, diversity, I think that there's been a um, a real, just a spew of um, unrealistic expectations like, oh, we only want to hire, and they'll, they'll label it. We only want to hire females for these roles. We only want to hire this, this, and this. That's not true diversity. Um, and and I really want to emphasize that because in certain fields, especially in cyber, you know, they're like, oh, we want to hire a female for this role. And I'm like, well, you're not going to find anybody qualified for what you're looking for. Um, and this is, you know, I've done the talent mapping. I know what the numbers are out there. Um, and and then let's look at all the other companies that are trying to hire the same role. Um, so this is our competition on top of this little talent pool that you're trying to have me hire, you know, find people for. So I, that's a tough conversation to have with hiring managers and leadership, but it's something that needs to be done. And yeah, I love technology, but the numbers, especially for women in te- in cybersecurity, is it's what less than twelve percent, last I looked.
0: Um, and everyone's fighting over them i am like preach danny it it pains me and i think people maybe because maybe we get this more because we're women they want they're like oh i want to hire a woman it's like that's not true diversity like the way diversity in companies is supposed to work is you have pools of talent and you hire the best people regardless of what they bring to you know regardless you just hire the best people and you're consistently, constantly looking for pools of talent. Um, and then in those pools, the people rise up. And then you have, like, the population. The, the, the And true diversity is, like, the, the population of people. Um, and then you can pull from that population. And when a manager or a leader or – and we've heard this before. Layton will talk about this. Oh, my goodness. Where folks will say um, – uh, Oh, we want, we, you know, we're only looking for women for this, or we're only looking for that. It's like if, if, if the tables were turned and we said the same thing, we're only looking for X or we're only looking for Y, like that's not cool. That's not the, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Um, it's supposed to work where you're constantly growing, mentoring, grooming pools of talent from all different diverse backgrounds, all different um, socioeconomic backgrounds you know people with degrees people without degrees like all types of folks and then you bring them in and then they kind of rise through the ranks so to add to I know Chris is off topic (laughs) in terms of your question but Danny just brought up something that it you know we've been through this recently probably within a a year or two and I've heard of it from candidates I've heard candidates have come to me and said they've said to me they only want to hire a woman you know and it's 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 not cool either way. If I'm a woman and they're like they only want to hire a man, that's crazy. <laughs> it's like that. That's not the way it's supposed to work. It doesn't work like that. We have a ton of qu- um. Chris, jump in, but there's a ton of questions, so I want to I want to bring up what people are saying here.
2: Yeah, to also pivot to that. Um, as as recruiters, do you ever have that? Have you considered hiring internally versus uh, hiring from outside to um improve your company culture, improve your engagement um, versus just trying to pull someone from the outside. And then your team goes, well, I can never move up in this company. And then they end up leaving.
0: So did you serve that up? Uh, for
3: it? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, Renee and I are laughing because this is like a battle I've had so many times with other hiring managers. I'm sorry, I got to jump in. It's Constantly, I have heard so much from um, just wonderful people who have gone out and gotten their cybersecurity certifications um, and so forth. And they've tried to align with different groups internally. And um, these the hiring managers, they're too busy. Um, and they don't have time to try and promote and train somebody internally for, for the role. So then that's why they're always looking outside. But they, I think companies really need to start looking internally and start Promoting and and helping others grow, um, and those are the companies that are going to be the most successful because uh, they won't their turnover won't be so bad.
0: Yeah, um, Chris knows that I've been working on. I interviewed a ton of leaders um, in this book that I've been working on forever and ever that I cannot get finished, but it will be soon. Um, literally talks about this. I mean, I was so irritated. I I, I uh, anecdotal piece of information is I was doing some research about around something in regards to breaking into cybersecurity. And I looked at a large company, if I, you know, Fortune 100, probably Fortune 20 company. And I just did a search on LinkedIn. And I looked for people who had cybersecurity degrees, but were not in a cybersecurity role. And there were so many people, there were at least, I want to say, It was in the dozens, so maybe not a hundred, but probably like between 50, I feel like it was between 50 and maybe 70 people who were customer service reps, um, all types of analysts, all types of roles, but they had the cybersecurity degree and they were looking outside of their organization when there's this big, huge organization where they're saying they need talent so again, on the, and then on the other hand, you have like the leaders and stuff, and I'm like, are you guys looking within? Like I did this quick anecdotal data within your organization, and I'm seeing that there's all of these people with degrees who are looking to get in, who are underemployed. They went, they got degrees, and. They can't make a move like you mean to tell me that you have all of these loyal people who've been a customer service rep in your organization or a a cashier or something. And they've been doing this for five, six, seven, eight, nine years. So you have this loyal employee and they went out on their own and they went and got the cybersecurity degree. And then they're looking for a job and they can't. And and you all are not actively looking to hire these people from within. It was like shocking to me. Um, So. I preach that all the time. Like I think inside organizations, retooling, reskilling, upskilling, um, Chris, you and I talk apprenticeships, all of these types of things from within. It's like people would love the opportunity. Some of them spending their own money, going out there, getting these degrees on their own and then sitting in your organization. And either you don't know, you don't care. And you think about the, talk about diversity, like, your cashiers, your customer service reps, your all of these different folks—like that's your, if you you know, surface the quote-unquote surface level diversity. We're looking for women, people of color, and all this kind of stuff. It's like everybody's already in your organization right there with degrees. So, um, I mean, I have to sit, I have
2: to be quiet because I could talk about
0: I could talk about this for the whole the whole entire uh, podcast.
2: And from a management approach doesn't it save money because you don't have, I hate to say it, you don't have to pay recruiters. You don't have to pay the onboarding time, the training time um, to get them accustomed to your organizational culture. Plus um, I would say, I hate to say this, but you likely could get them less than market. Um, (laughs) You'd want to get them close to market, but you don't have to pay top, top value for them like you would if you're hiring someone from the outside because now you're facing every one of your competitors for that same talent
0: it's it's bizarre like to me it's such a business case it's a total it makes absolutely no sense to me and i don't know if it's a combination of what danny said where they're so pressed for time it's like okay i can't train anybody which I understand that when you're in a smaller company, like I totally get it. And I think Chris, when you and I were on with, um, I think it was Ron Gula and he talked about how, you know, he's seen all these small companies because he invests in various companies and like smaller companies, they tend to have like, it's a a family friends kind of situation. That's true. I mean, if I was, If tomorrow, if I said, okay, I have enough money to hire all my, you know, the best people in in recruiting, who am I going to hire? You four right here, (laughs) like you three and and Layton. Like I'm going to hire my friends. I'm going to look to the people who I know. I'm not really fully looking for, okay, let me find, you know, look out there and find diversity. Like in the beginning, when you're scrappy, you get who, you know, you're focused. But these multinational, huge organizations with big fat budgets with like thousands of employees and cybersecurity departments with hundreds of people in them. It's on these organizations to really get the act together. Like they have the resources, they have the, they can bake in 20 new people or 15 or how many other people into, um, into these organizations. So it's, it, it's mind-boggling to me like I, I looked at it a, a couple years ago like I said I started interviewing I, I have all these people I, I, I just gotta get this book out like, because <laughs> it, it talks about that it talks about all these people who had all of these backgrounds with I mean poker players and nurses and all of these different people who leaders took said okay You have the aptitude. We can reskill. We can upskill. I mean, Danny talks about the military. This is what the military does in mass all the time. Like, you bring in raw people from the high school and build them into whatever it is, test them and put them in spots. And that's it. Like, let's not act like this is something brand new. Um, Okay, questions. Tons and tons and tons of chatter. All right. So, Dorsa has a couple different questions here. How much would you say a master's degree helps? Um, with breaking into the industry. That's Dorsen hate's question. Anybody
3: wanna answer? It depends on what it's in. I mean, um, if it's a master's in English, uh, no, it's not gonna get you necessarily into cybersecurity. Um, you know, it, it,
0: that's just my two cents. Yeah, I, I think would say she that. has a, a master's, probably talking about a master's in cyber and some, some type of master's in cybersecurity
1: yeah i would say you know even having a masters doesn't guarantee you anything you know practical experience is probably where, where what's going to help you the most so um you know try to get something you know this is my my take on it like try to get something and then go to a company that will ultimately pay for your masters um you know that's that's uh that's my
2: take on it um, my own experience in moving up my career ladder was that it really made no difference Um, it allowed me to better talk about the content, the field, the area. But I don't think that it was really a differentiator between someone that had more experience and someone that had, say, more education, like uh, a bachelor's, a master's, a a PhD. Um, Sometimes if you're lower in the role, like you're trying to get in as a SOC analyst, um, it, it might actually hurt you because an employer might look at that and be like, well, they, they paid for a master. They're expecting a lot more money. I'm, I don't have that budget to pay them. So, or they have a PhD. They have s- such an expectation for this role. They might get bored. Um, mm-hmm. Like you have to think about those things and where you are in your career as well, because if you have a really high degree and you're looking at an entry level role, um, those two usually don't mesh, especially because it took you, what, an an additional four, six, eight years to finish those higher-level degrees. Um, Everyone's expecting that they're going to have an ROI from that. And from a business perspective, they look at it like that, and they see you getting bored really quickly um, compared to someone else.
0: In addition, they will think that you're overqualified. Like, that's immediately what comes to mind, that leaders will say, overqualified, and next. Like, they won't even... (laughs) <laughs> just move you over to the side like oh this person's overclocked they got a phd what, what what are they doing here at this little you know entry level small job so yeah and another thing too is just from the practical level do you really
3: are you really able to take on more debt you know if a
0: company's not going to pay for it yeah good point point. and then william carlson so doris is saying like let's say software engineering now now meaning the master's degree in software engineering so Doris, I don't know what degree you have, like what undergraduate degree you have, but Chris, you want to jump in?
2: Yeah, I would say so technical degrees versus educational degrees make a big difference. So if you have like your electrical engineering, your software engineering, if it's really technically focused and it helps build your experience in that area, it would be looked at differently than say a computer science degree that's more uh, knowledge focused because then you can, you can easier show the value that you're going to bring to an organization. But then that also brings back to the level that you're going in at. Um, If you are looking for an entry level developer role and you have someone that has this vast experience in developing complex systems you don't want them in that entry-level developer role because they'll get bored. So it's back to that same thing. Your degree should match your your level in your the career ladder and where you're going. Otherwise, overqualified or get bored easily or whatever excuse the employer wants to use.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, and then William says, to, to, to add to that, he says... Um, Does having a master's in cyber with zero experience hurt a candidate? I think, Chris, you touched on it a little bit.
2: I want to say almost yes. I mean, if, yeah, if I'm looking for a a junior level help desk analyst and they have a master's, um, that hurts for me if I were a hiring manager, right? Because I would... I would want to ensure that, like, they know how to troubleshoot a computer. They would know how to do this. And if you're asking someone with a master's degree to um, understand basic troubleshooting, if they haven't already, and to learn these basic things again, um, because most, I hate to say most educational programs might not teach these hands-on skills. So I'm going to have to reteach them. I, I don't see individuals with a master really going back to that level.
0: And I just want to reiterate what I think Alex said earlier about experience trumping everything. So there is a level of, <clears throat> excuse me, knowing a lot of companies, their barrier to entry is a college degree, a four-year degree. So, you know, and I'm, I'm never the person in that to say not to get a degree or not and continue your education because I'm not that person. Continue your education. However, you have to have experience. Part, if, if you are up against, and this is really the, where the rubber meets the road, if you are candidate A with a master's and a bachelor's in cybersecurity and you have candidate B in zero experience, you have candidate B with a bachelor's and two years of experience or self-taught, self-directed projects or something on GitHub that we can go back to and a hiring manager can see, well, what's this person doing? Are they doing that capture the flags? Are they doing, you know, all of that stuff? That person is going to trump you in your zero years of experience. So while you're getting your degree, you you want to continue to have your hands on a keyboard because the questions they're going to ask you are going to be How would you do this? Or how have you done this? Or, you know, it's going to be things that you need to answer. Um, If you happen to get to the point of, okay, I do get an interview, they want to see the actual this person has done this before. Like, I'm not starting from complete scratch. So when we tell you or we give this kind of advice, like, you know, one versus the other, it's when you're looking at two candidates and you're seeing, this person had. That's why some some managers will say, I'll even take somebody with a, a, a uh, an internship or two, like a couple internships, a couple, you know, let me see the work that they're doing. Like, what are they doing? The actual doing trumps the just plain um, degrees. And we know that in the degree program, hopefully, you are doing some stuff. Showcase that. Have your website. Put up a blog. Do something that you can show to employers. This is what I'm doing. And take those little bits of experience. When I tell people that have, like, quote, zero experience, take that, what you've been doing in your master's program, d- go deep in it. Hopefully you enjoy what you're doing and you, you're getting the message because you love the, the topic and the subject. Go deep in it and then post it about it. Talk about it. That's your experience. So. Yeah.
2: Like, I'm a professor online, and I have some students that just go through the motion. Like, they just answer the question. They don't do any additional research. They don't do anything else. Where others, they produce weekly papers that go in-depth into a subject. They show their point of view. They show their analysis. Like, if they just published a blog on that every single week, and I were an employer, like, that that would be amazing because you see them, A, them progressing be their point of view, and how they approach their analysis.
0: Okay, awesome. So I know all of us, we have been, we, we went long today, goodness, so <laughs> 47 minutes. Um, this is a, a, a juicy conversation, and there's so much talk on here, um, and we will make sure to get to all of your answers. Um, unfortunately, we can't answer them all right now because, like we all say, we, we do have day jobs, <laughs> So so we're going to go back to work. But I appreciate all of this. I mean, William has so many questions. Stephen Owens has some comments he talks about. um, It's a mystery to him why so many things are prevalent. He talks that uh, he says he thinks specific college can sometimes make a difference. For example, if you look at the people who have more than four years experience in Amazon, you will find a very high number of them who graduated from Waterloo University. So, you know, if you're if you're in a school and they're recruiting from that particular, you know, a company comes like that's how I was at NYU. We would have P.W.C.E.Y. You know, you had certain companies that just came all the time and recruited from from your particular um, school. So companies that have partnerships with your school, that's that's a great way to get in. Um, so uh, Stephen says I spoke with many peers at Amazon. Waterloo had a boot camp sort of feel which is a good fit for the sweatshop mentality I observed in Amazon, okay? So in any event, he's just saying that at this particular company, they like people from this school. So that's another way to position yourself. Like if you're looking at master's programs, and I tell people this all the time before we wrap, you wanna know where those graduates have worked. Like don't just go get a master's for the sake of getting a master's. If you need a job, you kind of wanna reverse engineer. All of us are smart. You guys are a bunch of smart people out there You go to these schools, it's like, okay, where have they worked? What is this, what's my return on investment as I go forward and I get this master's degree or bachelor's degree? So that's my end. Does anyone else want to say anything before we wrap?
2: Find a school that specializes in the area that um, you want to go in that you're most known for if you want to use that as a pedigree. So going to your, your local state university, if they don't specialize in cybersecurity, you having a master's from them isn't going to differentiate you. However, if you go to MIT and you have a master's in cybersecurity from a pedigree school like that, that will make a difference. So also think about that, not just a master's for a master's, but the level of rigor that you're going to get from the school producing um, that graduate.
0: So it looks like next week, maybe our topic is about master's degrees versus non-master's degrees and where people should go to school. This is a really good topic. Well, folks, thank you so much. Thank you, Super Recruiter friends, uh, for helping us be a part of this conversation. Great chatter, great, great everything. We're at the 50-minute mark, so we're going to all go back to work. Take care, everyone, and we will see you again next week.
2: All right. Take care. Bye. Bye, everyone.